Hello, you are listening to Africana Woman with Chulum. The Africana Woman is a live show that highlights our stories in our own words. We believe that to attract the life that we truly desire, we must smash the culture of silence around the things that hold us back or keep us stuck. In our tribe, rest assured, you are not alone. The Africana Woman is for you, by you, and about you, no matter where you are in the world. So remember, this is the season finale, and we are on part two of a conversation around racism in Africa. Helping me to dissect this topic is Muma Sankala. Now, let me remind you about Muma. Muma is a banking and finance professional with a passion for the arts, technology, and social impact. She was recognized as one of the 100 Tech Up Women in the UK. She is also a member of the Institute of Coding and she is a board member on two charities promoting the use of technology and business skills for disadvantaged women. She curates art events for contemporary African artists with a focus on raising the profile of the African artist worldwide. Guys, I love Muma. I love her mind. And, you know, this is such a heavy topic, but it is so important that we actually talk about it and address it and, you know, just don't pretend that it doesn't exist. So please join me for part two of the discussion around racism in Africa. I also think that Yes, we've got this, um, we've internalized um, an anger, which is towards our ancestors. But even, and then on top of that, we come and internalize so much more. So when we see things like the video of um, George Floyd or, you know, uh, Ahmaud Arbery and all of those, we're just internalizing it. We internalize it, we don't talk about it, we don't um, address it, and it just, it was being bottled up, and then it just growing and growing, and so it just also explodes and comes out as anger. I would also like to add something else, and we also mm. see how it's also received in black communities around the world. So messed mm-hmm. up. This is what I'm saying to you: like the level of colonialism. To me, I always blame colonialism. You guys don't understand. Like it's so deep, it's so rooted. They did such a brilliant job of brainwashing us. It's crazy. Because there are Africans who are it's saying, why ended. should we worry? Huh? I said it, it hasn't ended. It, it will, still exists. I don't even know if it will ever end or how it will end, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is what we say when we tell our white counterparts. Like, you guys have to understand. You just will never. Like, when we say the leg up, the privilege thing, we're not saying that you yourself are privileged. We're telling you that the system created for you is privileged and so, in that sense, has privileged you. It's nothing to do with you, but everything to do with you. Because you're 17 mm-hmm. times better than me, whether I like it or not. Even if I'm, like, better than you at a talent or whatever, you know? Doesn't matter, you know? And what I was trying to say was the level of colonialism and brainwashing of Black people is there's Africans where the whole George Floyd thing happened that we were even brainwashed of empathy, you know? 
to the extent where like but we've got our own problems there's people in africa dying why should we be thinking that's your black brother do you understand what that means because even though that's happening in america the messed up thing with racism is it's happening on african soil do you get it it's happening in south Mm -hmm. africa it's happening in a subtle way to you. Like you just said, you're in your own country in a shop and uh, another person of another color is served before you because you're still seen inferior. Now, not even by the white person, but by your own person who looks like you. Do you understand? Like that's the level. And this is what we try to, to explain to people when we say the systems need dismantling. That system has been created. Mm-hmm. And you may and not I mean, be that kind of person, but it's created for you. Yeah. So for me, when someone says something like, oh, it's happening that side and we have our own issues. Well, if white people treat black people like that over there, then you are there calling them for, oh, bring development, bring development. Those same white people come here. You think they will treat you right. You think they've got your best interest. How? That's what I'm saying to you. It goes back to once we learn how to unlearn and self-love, we will be, it's like the cloak, the, what do you call them? The cloak over our eyes will fall um, because we will see that obviously the systems are unfair. What can we do better? Uh, we will change how we talk to our children. You mentioned something in your old blog about, you know, even just saying things like, I love you. Those things are internalized colonial, colonial, things really linked to colonialism. This one, why, like the, the simplest tagline for this life of ours is every black person is traumatized. I'm not even joking. This is the task. And if we do not learn how to deal with our traumas, we'll continue self-hating, we'll continue perpetuating the hatred or or the the idea that we should continue enhancing the systems created for white people. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. We don't even realize that we do it unconsciously. We, unconsciously, we we always benefactor the system and never ourselves. Mm. I was just reading, do you know in the UK, black business, black money. So when somebody was like, what is black money? Like, you guys are being ridiculous. That's what somebody said. But what we're telling people is, do you know, there's actual books, you guys, psychology books that were written specifically on how to infiltrate black minds and neighborhoods and how to shape us. You guys need to educate yourselves. And how to shape us so that we... So some of the things that we call culture, we were forced into creating those cultures to protect ourselves or as a way to appease ourselves, make ourselves feel better when we were enslaved and things like that. you know. And you see it in the behaviors in which Black people, when they become successful sometimes, they're bowlers, in the way in which we spend and the way we... We, we we wear things like Jordans. We, people think that it's just for coolness. No, like there's a deeper, nuanced reason to why those things happen. And when we say um, the black dollar, okay, it's obviously more pronounced in America when they say the black dollar. We mean the buying power of black people. Did you know that throughout the whole world, the biggest buyers are black people? This is mm-hmm. not... To say this because I'm black, this is actual like economics. You can literally go to the OECD or whatever economic um, foundation you have in your country. And the biggest buyers in the world of consumer goods are black people. And the world literally markets off the culture and the world literally markets to the culture. But when we then look at a deeper on a, look at it on a deeper level, 
the people who benefit from that same market are never black. Rarely. Mm-hmm. And those black people who do benefit from that market, whether from um whether from um like what do you call it, corruption, or even if they're just really good, you'll find that, that person who's really good will be like a one percentile. So you work for Goldman Sachs, you're like a one percent the the the, the the chances that you would be a black person and an exec at Goldman Sachs as a partner are like no point. No, 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 no. You know, like, yeah, you are like the, you're what do you call it? A unicorn. They actually call it a unicorn when a black person raises a million dollars in America or a million pounds. If I'm, if I've got a great business idea and I create an app that goes viral and I'm able to raise funds from an investor within like a short period of time and, and the funds, the, the, put a specific cap on it, a million pounds or a million dollars, if you're able to raise that, do you know what they call those black people? Unicorns. It's an actual thing, guys, in finance and the business world. They call you a unicorn. Doesn't that just tell you how messed up that is? That that system is created that how many white people have created a million pounds, a million dollars, raised that Mm. money for their businesses? You know, those are Mm -hmm. some of the things we're teaching when we're talking about dismantling of systems you know so the financial structures that exist so yeah i was reading and it was saying like 300 million pounds is what the black pound is worth just from january to now guys i'm not talking about like whatever whatever in america it was like more than that like way i think it was like in billions yeah imagine mm-hmm and when they say that they're talking about things like consumer products, like jewelry, the really expensive things, they're talking about things like, you know, so it's a two-sided argument as well, because again, like I was saying, you can't just blame white people. Another question that you have to ask as black people is, why do we carry those mannerisms that we think or feel that material things will protect us or make us feel better? Again, colonialism. Huh? said make us fit in exactly make us fit in also when you had been oppressed for so long and you get an opportunity to look like the person who oppressed you who never gave you a chance to vote never gave you a chance to drive a car never gave you a chance to own land never gave you a chance to 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 be as good as that person even if you were better than them you know when you get that opportunity because you've got money to which is money is power in the world you know, when you get that opportunity to be able to have it, what do you think you're going to do? So our behaviors, social behaviors are then constructed around the idea that for me to to be successful, I have to wear jewelry. I have to have girls in my teeth. I have to have a 10 acre home. I have to I have to show everybody that I've made it because we haven't had it for so long. Who knows? Mm. Maybe the next generation of my own people won't even have it. That's why it's so difficult to find generational wealth in black families around the world. Do you guys not think that that's problematic? How much generational wealth do we find in white families? You even call it blue blood. Like, it's crazy. Yet we've got royals and monarchs in Africa who are absolutely wealthy. But you never really see that even exposed to the world. That's also another layer. You know what I mean? Because there is actual wealth as well. There's, you know, Mm. when you've got like the Zulu families, like kingdoms and monarchs they own absolute wealth that's probably more than some of the things recorded in forbes but you won't hear about it because the narrative mm-hmm. has to stay to be african is to be poor and is to never have generational wealth and is to never 
have success that looks different from the West because monarchs do not subscribe to the West. They subscribe to their own ways of doing things within Africa, you know, the mm. traditional, you know. So, mm. so you know. many layers. Oof. This conversation is deep. I had so many things in my head. So, there is a book I'd like to recommend, which I have to go to my room and okay. get it. And it. This is for UK people, but actually, even for Zambian people, it's both for black people, white people, but especially mm-hmm. it's like such an important book at this time when we're talking about race, because the girl is quite the girl who wrote the book is very logical. Because I when I wrote the book because it, I I got the book because it was a jarring book. I thought this is quite racist when I saw the book, but I still bought it because I wanted to hear the nonsense I thought she had to say. But actually, when I started reading the book, I was like, this girl is dropping gems. She's not only dropping gems by saying, um, you know, this is, you guys are racist because the system is like this. She was showing evidence. This girl did research. She showed everything. And if you find yourself refusing that things like racism exist both in Africa, in England, and everywhere else in the world, you're also part of the problem. Whether it happens that you are black or white, you are a problem. And you need to ask yourself why you hate yourself. Because to hate me is to hate yourself. That's the only question. To hate me is to hate yourself. Like, what have I ever done to you for you to hate me because I've got a big nose? And I'm talking about big nose because that's not even a white thing. That's very much a black thing. Like, why we hate our features, you know? Um... As a white person, why do you hate me? Because I've got a darker skin or because I eat food that's weird to you. That's the problem. Or because I've got, mm-hmm. as you call them, braids or dreadlocks, whatever. You know, you need to... And then it, it makes you unprofessional. Yeah. Because the content in your ears is is suddenly disappeared because of your braids. I don't know if it's dripping oh, down or something. No, that's also another topic that just has to be... Um, like, looked at on its own. Because one of my favorite writers, Emma DeBerry, she's... She's a mixed race Irish, and she wrote a book, uh, Don't Touch My Hair. And that's one of the Mm. first books that's looked at why black people are so uh, about, like, don't come patting me on my head and saying, oh, my God, that looks amazing. I don't come to you and touch your hair when you've had it done at the salon. You know, why why is that problematic when you do that kind of behavior? You know, and the reason Mm. we feel so strongly about, we always say, don't touch my crown. Like, this is my crown. We truly feel this is our crown because, again, going back to colonial times, did you know that actual messages were sent through braids? Did you know that? Mm, I don't know that. So, basically, you've heard of the story of Harriet Tubman and how she, like, rescued mm-hmm. so many slaves, yada, yada, yada. So, mm-hmm. before Harriet Tubman, some women would braid their hair and within their hair, they would put even, like, nuggets of gold, and this is something that the slaves came with from, like, tribes in Ghana, Senegal, as a way to protect themselves. So when, when you were taken by a slave, just in case, because people were, women were just being captured anyhow, their husbands would give them, like, gold nuggets, and then they would braid them in their hair. And if you mm-hmm. needed to escape and you had a chance or whatever, if so be it, you could survive somehow on that little gold that you had. Also, rice was braided within our braids, you know that? So if you were hungry and stuff, I like believe it or not, I don't know, you could eat. But then also, not just that, when they braided rice and food, sometimes it was for communication. It was their way of saying to the next slaves who were being brought, like, 
if they so let's say if you're a Harriet Tubman type of person who's breaking free slaves, when I unbraid my hair, you'll be able to know exactly which, where the point of meeting will be through the through the hair, how the braiding pattern was done. And you see, as a person who's not black, you would never know that. You would never know like, how profound that means. Like you see, you know, people go on about why are you talking about cultural appropriation? We have created so many things that you guys do. Do you understand what that means? That our ancestors would have been oppressed and our ancestors would have done these braids and you come along and just do that same thing. Sometimes it can be triggering and jarring, especially for a person who's woke. When we say woke, it means you've done your own research because another layer that you guys don't think about is history is only ever written by the winners. The history that we know a lot yes. of as black people has been marred. I was just talking to Chulu this morning and I was telling her that the Natural History Museum, y'all, go on Twitter, just said... I'm not going to talk about it, say, but... The natural history, I know, right? If you get started, we will be here yeah, for another hour. The, the Natural History Museum basically accepted that, you know, the things that sit in their museums are looted products from countries around the world when the British Empire was the empire still is an empire mm. you know you're seeing people who are black protesting today and you call them looters what about the big institutions holding the loot that's another topic mm-hmm. for another day you know there's all those so like whenever you speak from any position always remember even me even though i'm busy here sitting here talking i'm also speaking from a place of privilege privilege enough yeah. to know that i know how to read and so my mother forced it on me to always love reading and people will come up to me and be like, oh, how do you know that? Because I read a lot. And I don't just read one kind of thing. I read all kinds of books. I read science books written in Russian, you know, translated into English or Japanese so that I can understand different, I don't know, it's just interesting. And it gives you so much knowledge of, oh my goodness, so this is how the Mao Empire existed in China back in those days. Whoa, so the reason why they do this tradition is because they were affected by that. Okay, I see why they think this way. Do you get what I mean? Reading, reading African history, in my opinion, my favorite literature of all time in this life is African literature. I'm telling you, do yourself a favor, go get some African literature books. When you see African literature really written by African people, even from back in the day, you realize that the history you're taught in schools is yeah. not a truth, mate. It's not a truth. But, Boma, say that again. It ha- African history written by Africans, not by the another race. And that's also another written. privilege or another, another and what do you call mm-hmm. it? Another, not misinformation. That's also another way that uh, African people, another people have been slighted. You know, they've been mm-hmm. slighted because the information that we read about ourselves is not by us. And do you know how messed up that is? You guys have the privilege that if you're Italian, the history was written by an Italian. If you're English, the history was written by an English person. But a lot of our history, which was then written down, was only written down by the English after colonization. And then comes the idea or the messed up idea that Africans did not know how to read and write before colonization, but we did. Because writing, papyrus reads and everything comes from Africa. So how would we not have known mm-hmm. how to write? That's another part of the history that they don't teach you. But however, we had our own way of doing things. I always say, our names, literally, your surname means... So if Chulu... Chulu, what's your surname? Chansa. Chulu Chansa. Chulu's name in in our actual tradition literally means Chulu, daughter of the Chansas. The Chansas come from a certain tribe in Zambia. 
if Chulu came from America today and decided, I want to know where I come from, Chulu can go to Zambia and say, guys, where do the Chansa people... I've heard that my name is Chansa and I'm from the tribe of the Bembas. Where do the Bemba people come or come from? They'll tell her, Northern Province or Northwestern Province. Chulu will go to Northwestern Province and in that district, she'll be able to find the chieftain and the, the, the smaller chiefs and the, the main chief. At that chieftainship, Chulu will be able to find exactly who her great-great-grandparent was. Guess what? That was never written down. Our stories were passed on through riddles, through stories, but our history was always kept. In different African traditions and African histories, you've got totems. You know, a totem is a symbol. So whether they came in shields or, or, or weaving that happened, that was a symbol of who you are, your tribe, your, your, you know, your people. Each African child has land. Forget about the corruption that's happened, but each African child has land by virtue of where you come from, your tribe. That's how they know all oh, the Chulus, the Chansas, this is their land. That's just how it is. People may have broken away from it right now, but that's just, if you wanted, you can even, into, even in, for example, in today's Zambian constitution, the constitution is not higher than the chiefs, do you know that, on our lands? Mm -hmm. That's why even the president, they have to go and ask for specific, especially when you go to villages, specific lands, they, the, the person who has jurisdiction is the chief, not anybody over the chief, because that's those people's land. You know, and when you start understanding our blackness or our culture from that perspective, you realize that, oh, there's power in who we are, not what we were taught, that you needed to come to England or America or Australia or wherever for you to be able to be educated enough, for you, for you to be to be better enough than your people. That is all colonialism, that for you to be better, you needed to have left, you needed to look outward, but actually everything was within, everything was inside, you know. So when we talk about, like, black people, you also need to read your own stories written by your people. Literally go to your village, ask about your culture, ask about who's your chief and why do we do what we do? Why do we believe, you know, I talk to Chulu and I say to her, like, my awakening for myself began when I first talked, had conversations with my granddad. I miss him so much. He taught me so much about who I am. My first conversation was about marriage and lovola because I just could not understand because I've always been outspoken. I couldn't understand how, why we pay lovola. I thought it was just like, you're, you know, you're paying for your, you know, kind of exchange transaction. That's not cool. When my granddad explained to me what lovola was and the context and the environment, it made so much sense. And I was like, whoa, that's, I'm so proud. You know, in the West, we have dollars. A dollar is a person who comes and takes care of you after you've given birth. In our culture, you never have to pay nobody. Your aunties, your grandmothers, your sisters in the community, even if you happen to be an orphan, your neighbor will come and be your dollar. How beautiful mm. is that? Do you get what I mean? Shoot. And when I say dollar, mm. like not just the way a dollar will come and teach you, like, oh, this is how you feed the baby. No, a dollar literally, they will, they will, how do you call China in English? I can't, I can't remember my English now. China. They will massage your back. They will show you how to massage the baby's bones. Got so much to say. Things like okay, yeah. science. Yeah. You know, things like a baby when a baby is born with yellow eyes, spraying milk. People thought that that was a stupid thing. It was witchcraft. Actually, it's been proven that breast milk clears the eyes and jaundice and things like that. And Africans were doing that way before science started proving things like that. You know, these are all things that make you feel proud of who you. Hey sis, thank you for listening to Africana Woman with Chulu. This show is only possible because of your participation. 
These are your stories in your own words. There are actually two ways that you can be featured in the Africana Woman Network. You can either be a guest blogger on the Africana Woman blog or a guest speaker on the Africana Woman podcast. If any of these interest you, please contact me on africanawoman at gmail.com to learn more about the procedures to be approved. Now, back to the show. This reminded me because... when white people came, they were like, oh, you're breastfeeding. No, you shouldn't do that. It's not good for the baby. So then black people stopped breastfeeding. Then they came back and said, no, it's actually the best milk for the baby. And it's like, do you see? We have that knowledge. Yeah. Do you see how then that that, that then created the idea? Mm-hmm. How the how sadly things were created that we didn't know anything. And we, we came here to save mm-hmm. you and we're teaching you, you know? It's so deeply ingrained. You know, did you know that the first act of C-section, the C-section was developed by women in the 1800s in Tanzania and the Lake Tanganyika. And not mm. just C-sections, the way in which they operated. Op- so in reality, when you can you can say that they, they invented operations, really. The way in which they operated, they, were st- they, they created sterile environments. They knew what herbs mm. to use. They knew to boil the instruments that they were using in order for germs not to be spread. They knew how to cut mm. exactly where so that the baby is removed. You know, things like that. Like, those are excellent. That's excellency. The first heart transplant happened in South Africa. All those things are things that you're not, you have no idea about if you don't go looking for them. And that's that also in itself is a privilege for you guys in that you're so privileged that you don't have to go and look for information because it just exists for you. But for us, mm. you can turn around and say, but it's up to you guys. You're the ones who don't document them. No, somebody came and told us the way we do things is not right. Manipulated it, told That's us it's not right. And, you know... Mm. Uh, Mama, not even that. Because one of the greatest libraries that has ever existed in the world was in West Africa. And people came and burnt it. Outsiders, foreigners, I don't know what you want to call them. <laughs> came and burnt a whole, like the largest library. It's unbelievable. So it's, it's not even that we didn't have books or knowledge or where we stored things. It's just from pillaging, that things have been taken from us. And then somehow we've been made to, we've been white, we've been brainwashed to forget who are you, who you really are. So yeah. It's I, I, I so when we talk of race issues, they go deeper than just white and black, and they go deeper than just location. Yeah, mm-hmm. it goes deeper than location because people this thing of yeah. oh, it just happened. It's over there. 100%. It's not over there. It's here. Deeper than location. A hundred percent goes deeper than location. Yeah. The only it thought is. that I have is we're so tired. We've been tired. We've been knowing. We've been saying. You need to start listening as well. White people, African people, mostly white people, to be honest, because racism, when we talk about racism, it's from that perspective, not just white people, even other races, really, um, mm-hmm. not black, because you perpetuate the same ideas. Of course, it, it's like white and then the, it's a totem pole in it, but they, it, mm-hmm. it filters through and the same ideas are still, excuse me, fed to us, which is really wrong. Um, and then black people and black people as well, you know, you allow that. Idea, those ideas to to continue and the only way to change that is you need to wake up yourself and change yourself you mm-hmm. know 
But all I can say is, if you listen to this conversation and, and tensing up your arms, you know, your your tongue is on the roof of, of your mouth, you, your, your face is all scrunched up, ask yourself, am I the problem? You are the problem. And then say, okay, how do I stop being the problem? Because I know that I'm trying to be a good person. Because the reality is I don't think people just wake up trying to be rude or mean. So it's so, yeah. if we as black people are talking about, it's so hard to unlearn ideas and to change who you are. Imagine being born racist, even whether subtly or unsightly, and having to unlearn it. Some people may think that they're trying. They may even try, but in their head they're trying, but they don't have to do that much. You know what I mean? So, mm. yeah, it's not an excuse, though. Like, do better. Um, yeah. Do better. And do the research. Asking, do the last reading. thing I can say is stop asking black people to tell you how you, you know, how you can do better. Now, fam, do your own work. Imagine. I The last statement I'll say is I remember watching one of my favorite doctors here. She's a black lady, and she went on E! News, and she was talking to... Uh, I think Piers Morgan or whatever, and he asked her, well, what can we do better as white people? And she said to her, it is not the job of the oppressed one to tell the one who oppresses them how to change. How do you go and do something to me and then ask me, oh, how can I do better? Like, that's messed up. When you think mm. about it, it is. You, and when we say oppressor, you guys might be like, yeah, but like, that's not fair. That's so blanket. Just because I'm white, it doesn't mean I go around oppressing you. We know that. But what we're telling you is the system has the created system for you to be able to do that without even thinking about it or looking, you know, that's the reality, the system. Mm-hmm. And it's true. You cannot beat the system all by yourself. You may say, but I'm only one white But actually your behaviors could be the thing that triggers somebody else in a good way. Like, oh my goodness. You know, I've got a white friend who cares. Like, I've got a friend, Shan, who's been amazing. Like, I can see it, like, eating at her. I can see her anger about it. But she's not just angry. She's doing something about it. That's the number one thing. Don't just be angry and go on Twitter, Twitter warring, being a Twitter lord on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Nobody cares about that. The reality comes when you're working in your company and you see your black colleague treated differently. And you know it. You can pretend you don't know it, but you and I both know it. It, the reality comes when, you know, you are happen to be an expatriate in Zambia and you immigrant to an oh yeah, an immigrant in Zambia and yeah, you're being called an expatriate. Or even if you're not, it's not just words. You happen to be an immigrant in Zambia and after a little while of being in the country, you came very neutral. You know, you could even go there neutral genuinely, like just yourself. But then you find yourself changing and you ex- having an expectation of how you should be treated better than black people, even mm-hmm. unconsciously. Check yourself. Even when the way you walk in a shop, you just know that you expect, you know you expect to be treated better. Mate, we see it. Change it. You know, when you're in a company, the same things that you said, you know, you're, you're in a position of power, able to give tenders to somebody who deserves it do what's right. Like, check your behavior yourself. When you're laughing with no black friends around and you've, you've got your family there and you're saying something that's slightly racist and it's just a joke, cut that out because that's how it begins. It begins in jokes. Then your child hears it. Even if you're you're fully raising children who are not racist, your child's gone to bed, but you don't know that your kid's woken up and they're standing by the door and listening to your conversation of jokes. And that kid internalizes mm. it until they're an adult and then shoots up a church or shoots up a, a cinema. Do you know what I mean? All those kind of things. Like, 
our responsibility the responsibility is on all of us it's not just on one it's not even that for me do you know what i have a problem with you come to this country, you come to um, African countries, right? And the only pe- people that, you, only African people that you associate with are the help. So your children grow up thinking that Africans are only the help. You understand? Yes. That's problematic. That's so problematic. That is so problematic. Yeah. Can you expose your kids to other types of Africans. Yes, it's great. We have this great system where we have um, people that come and clean our homes, people that will be our babysitters, that will be our gardeners, our guards. Yes, that's great. But then we also have highly educated, highly creative, highly... you know, just amazing other, uh, and not that the, the you know, the, the your workers are not amazing, but you need to, to expose. Not, and it's also not just the workers, and it's also not just highly educated. Why can you not expose your kids to kids who come from poor families but are great people? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Why not? Mm-hmm. What's stopping? Like, check yes. your behavior. People don't realize that those subtleties, those behaviors are also behaviors. They're also terrible, you know. You're very right. Like, and also calling somebody who's your help the maid. Ah, that term really irritates me. The maid, like, what century are you living in? Are you mad? You know, it's messed up. Like, stop saying that, Zambians. The maid. Ain't nobody born a maid in this world. The cleaner. Ain't nobody born a cleaner. It's just a title for a job. You know, treat somebody with respect, with the respect that they deserve. And this is what I'm saying to you. Like, the behaviors that we have in our own cultures and then they emulate it you know as they come into our, our countries and mm-hmm. all i can say is to the people who do come as as immigrants check yourself check check that you're not also changing if you came a neutral person that you're not also then you know carrying these bad behaviors you know treating you know exactly exposing your kids only to one way of thinking you know only going on safari lodges and showing them that that's all zambia is that's bs you know zambia is more than that you know that zambia is not just two extremes poverty and riches because there's an in-between there's an in-between of middle class people there's an in-between where you can take kids to the village they get to experience the true culture the tradition you know there's an in-between where you know yeah you allow yourself to immerse yourself in the full experience and then make your own views from that. The problem that you have is you've only got two polarized views and you refuse to 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 walk in the other person's shoes. You will never really walk in our shoes, but like you can try to immerse yourself in the culture, especially if you so happen. It's like going to Spain, being British, and then saying, I only eat fish and chips. I refuse to eat anything else. See you know what I mean? If you stick to just your people yeah. and if you just stick to what you know, like you will never learn. So, but at the same time, it's like people will come and they'll be like, oh, I tried the food. Oh, I, I learned a few words in Nyanja and Bemba. Oh, you know, I really got the culture. That's just the surface. You know, let's go a bit deeper when we talk about let's experience somebody else's culture. It's disrespectful. That's what it is. Like, you know that that's not culture. You would never go to China and say ni hao and say I know the Chinese culture. Mm. You would never go to to India and say namaste and say I know the culture or understand it. You never go to Japan and Mm -hmm. say konnichiwa and say I know Japanese culture. You know, I can go on and on. But, like, that's also the problematic idea that I'm saying. All other cultures around the world 
it's easy for you to mm-hmm. easily um, integrate into them. But when it comes to most African cultures, you fail. Or most black cultures, you fail because it's just too hard. That's problematic. It's just my too hard is, to pronounce. My name is Muma. My name is Muma. It's M-U-M-A. No. People call me Muma, Mom. Like, are you taking the make? But you can say Jean-Paul Gautier. Jean-Paul You even, like, well, go and learn how to say that sort of thing. But you can't say Muma. You're taking the make. And then when no, I tell trust you, me, like, you two, out, two vowels. Chula, chulo, chula. And it drives me crazy. Even when you're typing, you've seen that the name is 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 spelled this way, but you still want to spell it your own way. Do you get what I mean? Exactly, exactly. That, that's also problematic. That if you see yourself doing that, question yourself. It's that, a problem. It is a problem because you know how is it you can say Jean Paul Gaultier, but Muma is Muma, Mama, Mom. Like, are you kidding me? M U M A. It's not that deep. You're very intelligent. You got a PhD. Most of you, you know, highly educated. How can you just say Muma? Why are you calling me Mama? Like, really? Mm-hmm. You know? So Not wanting to learn how to pronounce somebody's name. Oh, it's just so difficult. You know? Or you can hear me speaking and you're like, pardon me? Really? Mate, I grew up in a country where I spoke English all my life. How can you say to me, really? like, pardon me? Or I'm talking to you and you're like, oh, you speak really well. What's that got to do with the bank or the real issues like what's wrong with you why why do you say i speak well like how messed up is that how am i supposed to speak am i supposed to bark really people Mm. need to question themselves like and you can even excuse yourself and be like that's not what i meant honestly i wasn't asking like that i didn't but that's the point question why you question such questions that's such a weird Mm. one question such questions that's the root it will tell you who you truly are Mm-hmm. You know, and if mm-hmm. you do find that like, you happen to be racist, like you can change, you really can. It's a learned behavior. That's it. Yeah. And I, I think um, just to summarize for us Africans, can we learn to love ourselves? Yeah. And Africa. really just examine why we think certain things, why we are biased in certain ways, do the research, do the work. Let's be better. Africans, it's very simple. We've given you the blueprint. Go and read African books, okay? Go and read African literature because mm-hmm. we're not saying that don't read other books. The reason we're saying go and read other books is it will allow you to open your mind to realize that everything you've been taught was a lie. To realize mm-hmm. that actually, my, oh, my ancestors did this. But you, know what? Yeah. you know? But even at the same time, I think um, the way we've been trained as Africans is that we just accept. We just say yes. We haven't been trained to question. Yeah. We haven't been trained to to probe and to just, you know, it's okay to have a difference of opinion. It's, it's kind okay. Of, that, that one is not a wide point. I think that's more like wrapped in our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea that when a person who's in a position of power tells you something, you just listen. That is something, in my opinion, that has to be unlearned. And in my opinion, again, people like Af- Zambians get very, for example, I don't know, I'm going to talk about Zambians. They get very, like, touchy about it when you say, you know, things like that. But um, we need to, culture is dynamic. It's not stagnant. Don't mm-hmm. talk to me. Don't come at me about, it's our tradition. It's our tradition. You, were you there 100 years ago and your grandfather was doing things? How do you know that was your tradition? Some of the things have been changed as time goes by, you know? So... Some of the things, even though they're at their core, they're there, but they've been altered to suit systems as systems came along. We always say patriarchy is not an African construct, 
you know, and we all, we know why. Do you get what I mean? But how how come it exists in today's African systems? Mm. Because it was then applied to our culture. So that's, that just tells you then that culture is dynamic. So, I mean, some of the things in your culture could have been altered, you know. So learn for yourself. Go back. So the book mm-hmm. is this. It's called Why I'm No Longer, Why I'm no longer Talking to okay. Wise People About Race. Mm. You see, it sounds very racist and jarring when you look at it. But this book by Rennie Eddie Lodge, if you can find it, it was one of the best books I read last year. It basically to the idea that race is no longer an issue in um, in societies that have abolished slavery, that have abolished, um, that are not race or that are not stiff. You know, the Americas, for example, and the UKs, it seems that they're not stiff societies. So because they're not stiff, they're transparent. But what people don't realize mm-hmm. is... Tra- Cloaked in transparency is very, like, subtleties, very microaggressions that are crazy that black people have to deal with on a daily basis. And a very and it's, it's, it makes you hypersensitive as a black person all the time having to deal with that. It gives you mental health mm-hmm. issues, to be honest. Um, and this book helps you, if you're a white person, to understand why and how. Like, people don't even know what a microaggression is, things like that. So it helps you mm. to know, like, okay, so this is what a microaggression is from a black person's perspective. But why did the microaggression happen? Like, how did they start? She goes through history and shows you, like, these, these are some, this is how they developed this kind of behaviors, and then then became microaggressions because this happened. Amazing book, one of the best. Rennie Eddie Lord, and the great thing about her, she said that anybody who buys this book, she's donating the money to the George uh, Floyd Fund. All the yes. money. She's not getting the money. She's for every book bought. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But yes. um, thank you for having me. There you go. This was part two of our conversation on racism in Africa with Muma Sankala. Top three takeaways. Number one, it is a great disservice that African history that is learned in African schools to date is written by foreigners. Number two, visitors to the continent should really begin to question why they are able to be more accepting of other cultures on other continents, but cannot do the same for Africa. Number three, change starts with us as individuals. We need to research, read, and then evaluate please check out the show notes for links to a number of the topics and um, topics that came up. And please do support Muma. Find her on social media. She has a Facebook page called So You Think You Can't Inspire. Please show her some love. Tell her thank you and let her know where you heard about her from. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, Google, Snitcher, Pandora, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. Click the subscribe button, guys. You will be helping us so much if you first subscribed, gave us a five-star rating, and then reviewed the podcast. We love to hear what you thought about this episode. I personally love meeting new people from across the world, ladies, Please 
Come find me on social media at Chulu by Design or come on over to the Africana Woman Tribe. And this is a Facebook group where we dive deeper into these topics. So, see, I was going, I was actually going to say see you next week for the next episode. But guess what? This is the season finale. Guys, nine whole episodes of the Africana Woman podcast. We did it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, for um, showing up every week just to support your sisters and learn something new. I hope you found value in this and I'm excited for season two because the conversations that are already lined up for season two are amazing. So guys, we did it. This is a wrap on season one of the Africana Woman podcast. (sighs) My hope is that you love yourself, flaws and all, and attract the life that you truly desire. This has been a production of Olendo Creative Media. You can find out more about their services on www.ulendocreative.com.